Well, welcome back. It's uh, time for another podcast. It's uh, 8.15 in the evening here in East London, and out the window you can hear the uh, first fireworks of Diwali, the uh, Indian New Year's. I actually think it's probably too early for Indian New Year's, but they... Um, they, they oh, it's Guy Fox. I've been told by the resident Briton in the household. This is the warm-up for, for Guy Fox. I gave uh, some urchins a uh, 50 pence for their guy this morning that they're apparently going to burn or something. They had a, a pram with a with a stuffed person with a mask on. Uh, you can see it in my Flickr stream. It was, it was quite adorable in a kind of barbaric way. Um, so I'm going to read you a little bit of a story called When Sysadmins Ruled the Earth. Um, this is a story I started to work on when I was teaching the Clarion Writers Workshop last summer. I haven't revisited it since July. I've got about 8,000 words in it, probably 15 or 20,000. And um, I'm hoping that reading some of it aloud to you will give me the impetus to go back to writing it again. Um, I'm uh, on a train tomorrow for six hours, three in and three out, to Brussels for a terrible EU meeting on DRM. And so uh, once I get through all my other stuff, which is writing a report from the MacArthur Foundation and writing an article for a newspaper in Peru and uh, writing the intro to someone's book and uh, writing the intro to a Wired article and something else, I forget what, it's in my to-do list, then I will be free to um, to actually uh, work on this thing. So with any luck, I'll be working on this tomorrow and, and have more to read later. And... Uh, I've got a couple of batteries to throw in my laptop, so uh, I won't run out of power on the Eurostar either. So here we go with When Sysadmins Ruled the Earth. When Felix's special phone rang at two in the morning, Kelly rolled over and punched him in the shoulder and hissed, Why didn't you turn that fucking thing off before bed? Because I'm on call, he said. You're not a fucking doctor, she said, kicking him as he sat on the bed's edge, pulling on the pants he'd left on the floor before turning in. You're a goddamn systems administrator. It's my job, he said. They work you like a government mule, she said. You know I'm right. For Christ's sake, you're a father now. You can't go running off in the middle of the night every time someone's porn supply goes down. Don't answer that phone. He knew she was right. He answered the phone. Main routers, not responding. BGP, not responding. The mechanical voice of the systems monitor didn't care if he cursed at it, so he did, and it made him feel a little better. Maybe I can fix it from here, he said. He could log into the UPS for the cage and reboot the routers. The UPS was in a different net block, with its own independent routers on their own uninterruptible power supplies. Kelly was sitting up in bed now, an indistinct shape against the headboard. In five years of marriage, you have never once been able to fix anything from here. This time she was wrong. He fixed stuff from home all the time, but he did it discreetly and didn't make a fuss, so she didn't remember it. And she was right, too. He had logs that showed that after 1 a.m., nothing could ever be fixed without driving out to the cage. The Law of Infinite Universal Perversity, a.k.a. Felix's Law. Five minutes later, Felix was behind the wheel. He hadn't been able to fix it from home. The independent router's net block was offline, too. The last time that had happened, some dumbfuck construction worker had driven a ditch witch through the main conduit into the data center, and Felix had joined the cadre of fifty enraged sysadmins who'd stood atop the resulting pit for a week, screaming abuse at the poor bastards who labored twenty-four-seven to splice together ten thousand wires. His phone went off twice more in the car, and he let it override the stereo and play the mechanical status reports through the big, bassy speakers of more critical network infrastructure offline. Then Kelly called. Hi, he said. 
Don't cringe. I can hear the cringe in your voice. He smiled involuntarily. Check. No cringing. I love you, Felix, she said. I'm totally bonkers for you, Kelly. Go back to bed. 2.0's awake, she said. The, boy had been, the baby had been beta test when he was in her womb, and when her water broke, he got the call and dashed out of the office, shouting, The Gold Master just shipped! They'd started calling him 2.0 before he'd finished his first cry. This little bastard was born to suck tit. I'm sorry I woke you, he said. He was almost at the data center. No traffic at 2 a.m. He slowed down and pulled over before the entrance to the garage. He didn't want to lose Kelly's call underground. It's not waking me, she said. You've been there for seven years. You have three juniors reporting to you. Give them the phone. You've paid your dues. I don't like asking my reports to do anything I wouldn't do, he said. You've done it, she said. Please. I hate waking up alone in the night. I miss you most at night. Kelly, I'm over being angry. I just miss you is all. You give me sweet dreams. Okay, he said. Simple as that? Exactly. Simple as that. Can't have you having bad dreams, and I've paid my dues. From now on, I'm only going on night call to cover holidays. She laughed. Sysadmins don't take holidays. This one will, he said. Promise. You're wonderful, she said. Oh, gross. 2.0 just dumped core all over my bathrobe. That's my boy, he said. Oh, that he is, she said. She hung up, and he piloted the car into the data center lot, badging in and peel peeling up a bleary eyelid to let the retinal scanner get a good look at his sleep-depth eyeball. He stopped at the machine to get himself a guarana modafinil power bar and a cup of lethal robot coffee in a spill-proof clean-room sippy cup. He wolfed down the bar and sipped the coffee, then let the inner door read his hand geometry and size him up for a moment. It sighed open and gusted the airlock's load of positively pressurized air over him as he passed finally to the inner sanctum. It was bedlam. The cages were designed to let two or three sysadmins maneuver around them at a time. Every other inch of cubic space was given over to humming racks of servers and routers and drives. Jammed among them were no fewer than twenty other sysadmins. It was a regular convention of black t-shirts with inexplicable slogans, bellies overlapping belts with phones and multi-tools. Normally it was practically freezing in the cage, but all of those bodies were overheating the small enclosed space. Five or six looked up and grimaced when he came through. Two greeted him by name. He threaded his belly through the press and the cages toward the ardent racks in the back of the room. Felix! It was Van, who wasn't on call that night. What are you doing here? he asked. No need for both of us to be wrecked tomorrow. What? Oh, no, my personal box is over there. It went down around one thirty, and I got woken up by the process monitor. I should have called you and let you know I was coming down. Could have spared you the trip. Felix's own server, a box he shared with five other friends, was in a rack one floor down. He wondered if it was offline, too. So what's the story? It was a massive flashworm attack. Some jackass with a zero-day exploit has got every Windows box on the net running Monte Carlo probes on every IP block, including IPv6. The big Cisco's all run administrative interfaces over v6, and they all just fall over if they get more than ten simultaneous probes, which means that just about every interchange has gone down. DNS is screwy, too, like maybe someone poisoned the zone transfer last night. Oh, and there's an email and IM component that sends pretty lifelike messages to everyone in your address book, buffing up Eliza dialogue that keys off your logged email and messages to get you to open a, tro a Trojan. Jesus. Yeah. Van was a type 2 sysadmin. 
over six feet tall, long ponytail, bobbing Adam's apple. Over his toast-racked chest, his dice said, his tea said, choose your weapon, and featured a row of polyhedral RPG dice. Felix was a type 1 sysadmin, with an extra 60 or 70 pounds all around his middle, and a neat but full beard that he wore over his extra chin. His tea said, Hello Cthulhu, and featured a cute, mouthless Hello Kitty-style Cthulhu. They'd known each other for fifteen years, having met on Usenet, then face-to-face -face at Toronto Freenet beer sessions, a Star Trek convention or two, and eventually Felix had hired Van to work under him at Ardent. Van was reliable and methodical. Trained as an electrical engineer, he kept a procession of spiral notebooks filled with the details of every step he'd ever taken, with time and date. It's not even Pebcac this time, Van said. Pebcac. Problem exists between keyboard and chair. Email Trojans fell into that category. If people were just smart enough not to open suspect attachments, email Trojans would be a thing of the past. But worms that ate Cisco routers weren't a problem with the losers. They were the fault of incompetent engineers. No, it's Microsoft's fault, P Felix said. Anytime I'm at work at 2 a.m., it's either Pebcac or Microsloth. They ended up just unplugging the freaking routers from the internet. Not Felix, of course, though he was itching to do it and get them rebooted after shutting down their IPv6 interfaces. It was done by a couple bull-goose bastard operators from hell who had to turn two keys at once to get access to their cage, like guards in a Minuteman silo. Ninety-five percent of the long-distance traffic in Canada went through this building. It had better security than most Minuteman silos. Felix and Van got the ardent boxes back online one at a time. They were being pounded by worm probes. Putting the routers back online just exposed the downstream cages to the attack. Every box on the internet was drowning in worms or creating worm attacks, or both. Felix managed to get through to NIST and bug track after about a hundred timeouts and download some kernel patches that should reduce the load the worm put on the machines in his care. It was 10 a.m. and he was hungry enough to eat the ass out of a dead bear, but he recompiled his kernels and brought the machines back online. Van's long fingers flew over the administrative keyboard, his tongue protruding as he ran load stats on each. I had 200 days of uptime on Greedo, Van said. Greedo was the oldest server in the rack, from the days when they'd named the boxes after Sm Star Wars characters. Now they were all named after Smurfs, and they were running out of Smurfs and had started on McDonald Land characters, starting with Van's laptop, Mayor McCheese. Greedo will rise again, Felix said. I've got a 486 downstairs with over five years of uptown. It's gonna uptime. It's gonna break my heart to reboot it. What the everlasting shit do you use a 486 for? Nothing. But who shuts down a machine with five years of uptime? It's like euthanizing your grandmother. I want to eat, Van said. Tell you what, Felix said. We'll get your box up, then mine, then I'll take you to the Lakeview lunch for breakfast pizzas, and you can have the rest of the day off. You're on, Van said. Man, you're too good to us grunts. You should keep us in a pit and beat us like all the other bosses. It's more than we deserve. It's your phone, Van said. Felix extracted himself from the guts of the 486, which had refused to power up at all. He'd cadged a spare power supply from some guys who ran a spam operation, and he was trying to get it fitted. He let Van hand him the phone, which had fallen off his belt while he was twisting around to get at the back of the machine. Hey, Kelly said. There was an odd, snuffling noise in the background. Static, maybe? 2.0 splashing in the bath? Kelly? The line went dead. He tried to call back, but he didn't get anything. No ring nor voicemail. His phone finally timed out and said, Network error. 
damn it, he said mildly. He clipped the phone to his belt. Kelly wanted to know when he was coming home or wanted him to pick something up. She'd leave voicemail. He was testing the power supply when his phone rang again. He snatched it up and answered it. Kelly, hey, what's up? He worked to keep anything like irritation out of his voice. He felt guilty. Technically speaking, he had discharged his obligations to his Ardent Financial uh, to Ardent Financial LLC once the Ardent servers were back online. The past three hours had been purely personal, even if he planned on billing them to the company. There was sobbing on the line. Kelly? He felt the blood draining from his face and his toes were numb. Felix, she said, barely comprehensible through the sobbing. He's dead. Oh, Jesus, he's dead. Who? Who, Kelly? Will, she said. Will, he thought. Who the fuck is... He dropped to his knees. William was the name they'd written on the birth certificate, though they'd called him 2.0 all along. Felix made an anguished sound, like a sick bark. I'm sick, she said. I can't even stand anymore. Oh, Felix, I love you so much. Kelly, what's going on? Everyone... Everyone, she said, only two channels left on the tube. Christ, Felix, it looks like dawn of the dead out the window. He heard her wretch. The phone started to break up, washing her puke noises back like an echoplex. Stay there, Kelly, he shouted as the line went dead. He punched 911, but the phone went network error again as soon as he hit send. He grabbed Mayor McCheese from Van and plugged it into the 486's network cable and launched Firefox off the command line and Googled for the Metro Police site. Quickly, but not frantically, he searched for an online contact form. Felix didn't lose his head ever. He solved problems, and freaking out did not solve problems. He located an online form and wrote out the details of his conversation with Kelly like he was filing a bug report, his fingers fast, his description complete, and then he hit submit. Van had read over his shoulder. Felix, he began. God, Felix said. He was sitting on the floor of the cage, and he slowly pulled himself upright. Van took the laptop and tried some news sites, but they were all timing out. Impossible to say if it was because something terrible was happening, or because the network was still limping under the superworm. I need to get home, Felix said. I'll drive you, Van said. You can keep calling your wife. They made their way to the elevators. One of the building's few windows was there, a thick shielded porthole. They peered through it as they waited for the elevator. Not much traffic for a Wednesday. Were there more police cars than usual? Oh my God! Van pointed. The CN Tower, a giant white elephant needle of a building, loomed to the east of them. It was askew, like a branch stuck in wet sand. Was it moving? It was. It was heeling over, slowly but gaining speed, falling northeast toward the financial district. In a second, it slid over the tipping point and crashed down. They felt the shock, then heard it, the whole building rocking from the impact. A cloud of dust rose from the wreckage, and there was more thunder as the world's tallest freestanding structure crashed through the building after building. The broadcast center's coming down, Van said. It was. The Canadian Broadcasting Corporation's towering building was collapsing in slow motion. People ran every way, but were crushed by falling masonry. Seen through the porthole, it was like watching a neat CGI trick downloaded from a file-sharing site. Sysadmins were clustering around them now, jostling to see the destruction. What happened? one of them asked. The CN Tower fell down, Felix said. He sounded far away in his own ears. Was it the virus? The worm? What? Felix focused on the guy, who was a young admin with just a little Type 2 flab around his middle. 
Not the worm, the guy said. I got an email that the whole city's quarantined because of some virus. It's a bioweapon, they say. He handed Felix his Blackberry. Felix was so engrossed in the report, purportedly forwarded from Health Canada, that he didn't even notice that all the lights had gone out. Then he did, and he pressed the Blackberry back into its owner's hand and let out one small sob. Well, that's as far as I'm going to read tonight. Uh, there's still a few thousand words to go uh, before I have to start writing again to keep up with the reading. Like I say, I've got lots of time on a train tomorrow, so with any luck, I'll be catching up. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and um, thanks for all the positive comments I got on um, after the siege. It's really kind of you all to, to send your best wishes on that one. Hope you like this one as much. Good night.